Good evening, everybody. I want to <coughs> spend uh, this hour answering these questions. Question one I picked up. Can you speak to us about fear and ways to let it go? Uh, in the first place, I must say uh, fear is doesn't have any particular uh, cause or reason, but we have uh, fear of uh, not knowing the cause. <coughs> uh, that is one reason. The other is uh, fear of uh, uh, what will happen in future, which also we don't know. <coughs> uh, there are various uh, uh, situations where people have fear. Buddha has given a very uh, real, practical cause of fear. That is uh, clinging, craving. Buddha called it tanha. Tanha jayati soko, tanha jayati bhayam. Tanha vipamurtasa nati soko kuto bhayam. Because of uh, craving, sorrow arises, fear arises. So, we are so much uh, attached to ourselves and therefore any tiny thing that we don't understand is a threatening, is a threat to us. So fear arises. So Buddha's example is a very wonderful example. There is a discourse in Nikaya called Bhaya Bhairava Sutta. In that discourse he said when he was in the in a forest in the middle of the night on new moon day then when there is no moon at all, very pitch high pitch dark night, he was there meditating and suddenly he heard a noise threatening noise. So what he did, normally when you hear a very frightening noise, uh, you run away from the noise. What Siddhartha uh, before attaining enlightenment, what he did was, he ran into the noise and he wanted to find out what this noise is. See the difference between his practice and other people's practice? When you are mindful, you run into it. When you are not mindful, you run away from it. So mindfulness is always facing the truth. Unmindfulness is running away from the truth. So when he went towards the noise, he saw a peacock sat on a dead branch, that branch broke and fell down, fell in the ground. <laughs> so, that was the noise. So he found out the reason. Similarly, when you have fear, uh, you keep asking yourself, why? What is the cause? <clears throat> Fear people have sometimes losing a job, getting various uh, perhaps incurable sickness, or going to a hospital and uh, running out of money. Uh, you are in ma on Medicare, for instance. You are in the hospital for several months. You run out of money. Now you have fear. 
or how to pay the bill and so forth. These are some kind of practical ways so that people can have fear. fear. But all these are speculative fear. For all these, there are some solutions. And therefore, uh, in the first place, don't cling to anything, don't uh, speculate, uh, don't uh, build up worries, anxiety, so that you can not, you will not have fear. The worst fear arises from the thought of death, which also is inevitable. What can you do? <coughs> can you stop it? No. And therefore, even that we should be able to face with uh, mindfulness and confidence. Now, 2 a.m. is still not exactly sure how to do vipassana meditation. Appreciate if you could explain it in long person, in, in lay person, uh, in lay person's language. I don't know whether I spoke in monastic language. <laughs> uh, I spoke today in lay person's language. <coughs> I don't know how much lay I can make it. Uh, I said mindfulness uh, in a very, very simple language is becoming aware of changes, becoming aware of impermanence, becoming aware of whatever is impermanent is unsatisfactory. Whatever is unsatisfactory is without any permanent self. Seeing these three things in every tiny little thing and every fraction of a second within oneself without having any fear is vipassana practice. Let me repeat what vipassana, all other things are peripheral, uh, but the real core of vipassana meditation is seeing anicca, dukkha, anatta. That is the lay people's language. <laughs> In other words, seeing impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and selflessness as they are. These are the hard, core, fundamental, grass, root, truths. Okay? And seeing these three things in your breathing, feeling, perceptions, thought, and consciousness. Whether you practice with Anapanasati uh, or Four Foundations of Mindfulness, in every discourse where mindfulness is mentioned, these are the things that we have to use to develop this mindfulness. <coughs> I wish to progress in my uh, practice, but uh, struggle with uh, discipline. Uh, how should I practice to improve my discipline. I think, uh, as I mentioned, discipline is one of the major problems that people face. <clears throat> you need patience, determination, and the perseverance, mindfulness. Patience, Determination, perseverance, and mindfulness. These components are very important to practice discipline. Discipline yourself. 
no matter uh, how educated we are, how qualified we are for any job, if we don't have a discipline, no education, no qualification will help us to hold our job or make it successful. You may have great intention to practice uh, meditation, mindfulness and so on. If you don't have patience, if you try to rush to attain something, that's not going to work. So, discipline is not something that uh, somebody imposes on us, but that is something comes from within ourselves, from our own personal experience. And uh, you might remember falling into a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems when you were not disciplined. Those, you, 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 your own experience, you can use as examples to have patience, not to rush into something, determination not to break your principle, and uh, perseverance, making effort and then remain mindful. With these four factors, you can practice uh, discipline, develop discipline. <clears throat> now, natigaanang apanyasa, what specific type of wisdom need to be cultivated to enter the first jhana. Although this is not jhana meditation, but it's in seven factors of enlightenment, it includes in the seventh, the sixth uh, uh, step of factors of enlightenment. Uh, I will uh, say a few words and the one who gives the talk on jhana will explain it. Now, what types of wisdom need to be cultivated uh, to enter the first jhana? Wisdom is seeing the danger of having hindrances like greed, hatred, sleepiness, drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. We don't simply uh, look at them uh, objectively as if something existing over there. We must look at them introspectively, subjectively within ourselves to see how they hinder, how they uh, block our progress. Seeing that is a wisdom. Only wise person, intelligence, can see this impact of these hindrances. And that is what uh, kind of wisdom you need uh, to attain jhanas. See the, the danger of hindrances. <coughs> uh, thank you for the Dhamma talk. How do I use the factors of enlightenment and uh, equanimity, ah, factors of tranquility and equanimity, to calm down uh, my mind. Uh, my mind is reacting when I sit to meditate. Now, 
I said, if your mind is agitated, excited, full of lot of activities, uh, I said you have to develop uh, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity to uh, calm your uh, yourself. <coughs> If there are a lot of activities going on, you cannot concentrate. Uh, you try to focus your mind on the breathing. And if it doesn't work very well, you start counting your breath. As you count your breath in a very specific way, you will be able to calm yourself. The specific way of counting, there are many ways of counting. Uh, one I recommend and others also I recommend, but number one I recommend is count your breath uh, from one to ten. Inhale, exhale, count one. Inhale, exhale, count two. And so forth, go up to ten and stop there. And then count down from ten to one. Second round you go from one to nine and come down to one. Third round from one to eight and come down to one and so forth. Go uh, seven to six, seven to one, one to seven, one to uh, six, six to one, one to five, five to one, one to four, four to one, one to three, three to one, one to two, two to one and one. When you go up and down like this, you are sometimes, uh, when you do it a couple of times, uh, perhaps your mind will stop wandering because your uh, mind is focused on your numbers, counting. Sometimes when your mind, when you count up to six, then mind wanders. Then you come, you don't know where you stop, where your mind began to wander. Then you may remember, oh, I was in six. Then you return to six. When you come down to six, you don't, you don't remember whether to go from six to seven or six to five. You get confused. Then you try, try, try to remember, you don't remember. So you start all over again from one. So you trick your mind to stay on one topic. And then this agitation, excitement will fade away. Your mind will stay on the counting. And then counting slowly becomes boring and tiring. Then you let go of the counting. The mind remains on the breath. You try that. Okay? So, next question. What is our mind supposed to do during the silence of meditation. <laughs> Actually, silence, uh, during silence, <clears throat> one thing going on all the time is your breath, where you are active or whether you are silent, whether you are... All the time we all know, even when we sleep, uh, breath is going on. So when we are silent, breath is going on, then come back to your breath. That is your home base, so to say, and stay with that breath paying attention, total attention to the 
breath. That is what you should do when you are calm or mind is calm. <coughs> Could you describe the first two aggregates of uh, thoughts? Aggregates of thoughts? I cannot uh, seem to understand its form or feeling. Okay. I only uh, perceive it and go from there. Okay. First two aggregates of thought. I said the uh, aggregates of uh, there are five aggregates. We were very often talk about five aggregates. First two are form and feeling. These are the first two. Now, uh, thoughts as uh, as sankara. Uh, we have uh, wholesome sankhara and unwholesome sankhara, that means wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thought. And uh, thoughts as a precursor to expression are three. Uh, on wholesome side, three on unwholesome side. That is uh, thought of letting go, thought of uh, uh, living friendliness, thought of compassion. This is a wholesome side. Unwholesome side is thought of greed, thought of hatred, and thought of cruelty, hurting. These are the thoughts, and uh, categories of thoughts we can put uh, uh, under the aggregate of uh, sankara. Other than that, I don't know any aggregates of thought uh, that you are talking about. Perhaps you will ask again some other time, explaining what you mean by aggregates of thought, five aggregates of thought. How do I deal with the cram and uh, uh, contorted legs. I see a couple of low stools to sit on are more available. Where can I get ex extra cushions for height? Well, what we have are here. If they are not enough, perhaps you may see in the closet. And crammed legs. My legs also cram sometimes. With cushion or without cushion, sometimes it happens. So if you want to have more cushions, uh, you may find around there, if not, uh, we don't have any more. Can you give us advice on working through desire and uh, clinging to uh, people? Actually, <clears throat> um, Craving and clinging is a very big subject. I think uh, <coughs> there are numerous uh, subjects, uh, even given in uh, four foundations of mindfulness, uh, the mindfulness of body, uh, divided into six uh, groups, 
all these six groups, if you study, uh, would help you to uh, reduce your desire and clinging. Uh, but one has to do it very, very mindfully. If you are not mindful, it is very likely that you go into extremes and get into trouble. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, mindfulness of the uh, parts of the body, mindfulness of the part of our body. Uh, Thirty-two of them are listed. You can find even many more. And if you focus your mind on them, taking each separately, and each of them is always in a state of flux, changing. Each part is changing. I shaved my head three days ago. It's changed so much, now it's grown again. We shave our beard every morning. Evening I still feel beard. Why it is changing? Changing, changing. This is very visible thing that change. Invisibly, inside, our parts of our body are changing. When we meditate on the changes that take place within us all the time, then we see there is nothing to hold on to. There is nothing to cling to. We, when we see or hear outward shape, size, colour, movement, sound, voice, uh, talk and so forth and so on. These are the things we cling to. But they all are changing. The appearance is changing, our voice is changing, hearing is changing, smell, taste, touch, all these are changing all the time. Friends, very honestly, sincerely, we must admit this. Therefore, our perception changes, our feelings changes, our thoughts change, our consciousness change. All these are changing. And therefore, if we mindfully meditate, we see these changes and therefore we understand that we cannot hold on to this changing anything. That way we can minimize our thought, our desire and clinging to people. But we have to do it very mindfully, otherwise uh, you can develop uh, uh, aversion or clinging. Do you know anyone who has achieved the liberation uh, that is still alive? <coughs> uh, I personally don't know anybody who has totally, completely uh, eradicated all defilements and attained full enlightenment. But I know individuals who are on the path, who have attained certain level of enlightenment. Only problem is that they don't put a label, I am enlightened. <laughs> because of that we don't know. Through the association, as Buddha said, long association, uh, when we associate them, with them, by seeing their behaviour and hearing what they say, we can conclude, at least we can infer, 
that this person has attained certain level of enlightenment. That much I can say, that much I, I have seen. Don't ask me where is that person. I have come to understand in that uh, hate can hate cannot be uh, defeated by hate or anger with uh, more anger. Uh, it takes uh, loving friendliness to accomplish that. But how does one c- continue to? Uh, offer metta and live their uh, uh, their what uh, authentic authentic okay uh, Buddha Nege in uh, world that seems to be in constant suffering. Friends, this is a good question. Surely uh, only loving friendliness can uh, overcome anger or hatred. Uh, We know that the world is not uh, uh, all uh, rosy. Uh, it has lot, lot of problems. Amidst of all these problems, one who cultivates uh, metta, those problems will be, all worldly problems will be a sort of uh, uh, nourishment of our metta practice or subject of our metta practice. Because when we see suffering everywhere, we feel great deal of compassion. That compassion arises in our heart because we have the seed of metta. If our heart is, our mind is very rough, uh, very tough, uh, doesn't melt, we cannot practice metta. So, the true genuine nature of metta we have in our heart, deep down in our subconscious mind. So this suffering things, suffering beings, would uh, encourage us to practice metta. Therefore it is not difficult uh, to, it's not impossible rather, uh, though difficult, uh, because we will be emotional uh, when we see suffering beings. Uh, Metta practice is a very altruistic emotion, uh, impartial uh, practice because we have to practice metta for all living beings alike. Uh, we don't give uh, more metta to so and so and less metta to so and so and we give uh, we practice metta to so and so because of such and such a thing and we do not practice metta to so and so because of such and such a thing and sometimes we hear people, I can practice metta towards all living beings, but that fellow. <laughs> you cannot do that. <clears throat> Could you expand your uh, knowledge leads to awareness. Do 
experiences uh, lead to knowledge, surely. Uh, experience certainly leads to knowledge. Uh, from experience we learn great deal. Uh, in fact, uh, it is the experience that uh, accumulate as our knowledge. Uh, there are four ways of gaining knowledge. One is from uh, books, uh, uh, reading and so forth. Another way of uh, uh, listening and learning from uh, teachers, because teachers can impart their experience when they teach. And then uh, third way is uh, by associating with people, uh, various type of people in society. And the fourth part is through our own personal experience. So personal experience is one source of gaining knowledge. And exactly, <coughs> that is exactly what the uh, Buddha did. Uh, Buddha did not have a, a teacher or textbooks or encyclopedia or a dictionary and so forth to refer to. Everything came from his own personal experience. And that is, that is why what he, whatever he said is 100% true. For instance, uh, uh, he talked about suffering. Though people not like to hear it, uh, don't like to admit that they are suffering, but what he said is 100% true. Suffering is true. That is why it is called noble truth. What is noble in suffering? Is there anything noble in suffering? It is not Suffering that is noble, but it is truth, it is true, undeniable truth. You cannot alter it and say, you know, it is not suffering. What we understand as suffering, as Buddha taught, is really suffering. And that he realized, understood from his own personal experience. Suffering in Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, the first sermon, he said, uh, uh, suffering is something to be understood, to be understood. That is the first step. Second step is suffering he understood. The first thing is as it is as, as a truth, it is as a truth. Second is its function. Its function is to be understood. He understood this. Third is completed his understanding has understood the truth, it is to be understood, and it has been understood. So from that three phases of understanding, he gained full experience. From that experience he taught us that such and such and such a thing is suffering. And the cause of suffering, he understood it, he knew that it has to be abandoned, then he abandoned it and said that it has only been abandoned. Like that all the Four Noble Truths has three aspects and multiply four by three is twelve, that is twelve modes. All are personal experience. That is why he was so confident 
when he talked about the Four Noble Truths. And that also is called Buddhanam Samukhansika Desana. Samukhansika Desana means Buddha's own prerogative, their own uh, teaching. Please explain the difference uh, different hand position of the Buddha image, uh, palms up, down, uh, on in the lap or uh, knees, on the knees. Okay. <coughs> this is not our today's topic, but uh, since it is something related to the Buddha images, when the, when the hands are put on the lap, palms up, right on the left, crossing thumbs each other, is called meditative posture or uh, dhyana mudra. Then uh, palms down, uh, putting on knees, uh, is uh, uh, not in the Theravada tradition, in Mahayana tradition, you find both palms down. In Theravada tradition, uh, one hand, left hand is on the left, right hand is on the knee, pointing to the earth. That is, according to Buddhist stories, when Buddha was practicing meditation to attain enlightenment on the eve of attainment of enlightenment, there was uh, Mara. Uh, Mara came and tried to challenge the Buddha. Finally, <coughs> Mara asked the Buddha to uh, prove that he has practiced perfections. And Mara asked, what is your witness? My witness is this earth. So pointing his fingers towards earth is called Bhumish Parsamudra. That is pointing earth to Bara as his witness for practicing perfections. That is called uh, Bhumish Parsamudra. Then uh, I don't know any other posture, but these are the ones I can explain about his hand positions. I can't meditate for more than 15 to 20 minutes unless I am doing walking meditation. I find sitting meditation utterly, uh, utterly uh, boring, but I truly enjoy walking meditation in the nature. Is it working to just do walking meditation? It is, no, it is wrong to just do walking meditation. Well, <coughs> you sit as long as you can sit and walk as long as you like to walk. Uh, there was a monk in the Buddha's time, his name was Chakupala. He refused to lie down. All day and night he was standing and walking and sitting. And uh, mostly he was walking. Even because of his uh, very 
great perseverance and strenuous work, he strained his eyes and uh, uh, he became uh, blind. Many doctors came and gave him some medicine and he was supposed to lie down and put the medicine in his eyes. He refused to lie down. He was standing and putting medicine and he went completely blind. But he attained enlightenment. <laughs> so, don't worry. <laughs> keep, keep walking. <laughs> you might attain enlightenment. Please comment on uh, developing mindfulness with loving friendliness. Yes, loving mindfulness with loving friendliness. When you, uh, uh, as I mentioned this morning, and when you recite this passage, those passages on metta meditation, does it develop this mindfulness? Metta meditation is a mindfulness practice because. When we practice uh, metta, what we do, we let go of our anger and greed. Greed is near enemy of metta, anger is far enemy. Near enemy is camouflaged. Pretend to be your friend. Metta is friendliness, but desire also can slowly sneak into it and think that is metta. For instance, people say, I practice metta to my wife. I may practice metta towards my husband. I practice metta towards my children. Do they really practice metta? No. They develop their attachment, clinging, craving. Even practicing metta towards my mother, my father, is attachment, but it looks like very, very much like metta, loving friendliness. That is how desire disguises as metta. And therefore it is difficult to defeat, overcome this impediment. Fire enemy is anger, we can see anger very clearly and uh, we have to overcome when we practice metta. So what we practice, when, what, when we practice mindfulness, what we do? We overcome our greed, we overcome our hatred and we overcome our delusion. See the similarity between metta practice and pure mindfulness practice? Both do the same thing. When we practice metta, we overcome our desire and hatred plus delusion. When we practice mindfulness, pure mindfulness, we overcome greed, hatred and delusion. That is how when we practice metta, we may practice mindfulness. And therefore Buddha said, Etang sating aditya Develop this mindfulness, meaning this metta practice. 
I have found heap of fear on death. Which factor of enlightenment will help to uh, shift my attitude? I just don't want fear or sadness in my heart and mind when the time comes. Actually, all the factors of enlightenment deal with this fear. Mindfulness factor, factor, investigation factor. Uh, I said in mindfulness factor we see uh, everything is changing, impermanence. Every fraction, every moment, things are changing. Death is not something different. This is another moment of change. And then investigation, second factor. What do we investigate? We investigate the same aggregates, body, feeling, perception and so forth. We investigate in addition to that, of course, uh, various mental factors. What is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what is beneficial, what is not beneficial, what is dark dhamma, what is white dhamma and so forth. These are investigation. When we do that, fear falls into dark dhamma. Fear falls into unwholesome dhamma. We don't develop it. So every factor of enlightenment can use to overcome fear. Friends, when we say all these things, you might think, Bhanteji, it is easier said. Than done. I say, friends, it is easier done than said if you do it. You try to teach me how to bicycle, how to cycle, I cannot. But you show me, you ride the bicycle very skillfully without even touching the handle standing, jumping up and down with the bicycle. I hardly can push the bicycle because I never learn it. But you, you go to swimming, I still cannot swim. But you swim and show me, Bhante, this is how it is very simple. Just float on the water. When you do it, it is easy for you. When you try to teach me, you, you will have a pain in your neck. So, doing is easier than asking somebody to do it. But the secret is beginning to do it. You try to get rid of your fear by following these instructions and then you will see one day, where is my fear? That will vanish. With this positive note, I like to sleep well tonight. <laughs> see you tomorrow morning. I am done for the day. <laughs>